Thanks for tuning in to The Happiness Playbook, a podcast where we explore the why and how of happiness. I'm your host, Neil Hooper, and I just wanted to remind you that life is a team sport, so let's play together. On today's show, I get to sit down with Jordan Foltz. I'm so excited for you to listen to our deep dive on marriage, on being a good friend, and on building your professional network and communicating at work with Play Theory. Before we jump into that conversation, though, I wanted to just take a moment to return and report on our goal to overtake the world with happiness. I gave you a charge last week as Coach Neil, and I'm going to put that cap back on for just a minute. As much as I'd like to return and report some of the stats from our pro team, I instead am going to tell you to get down and give me push-ups because nobody turned in their stats. I didn't see any reports on sharing the podcast or expanding the reach. So I'm sad to say there are no winners this week. So you get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. But again, I issued the challenge. We want to expand our reach and we need your help to do that. We need positivity and love and connection and confidence and well-being more than ever. And it is up to you to help us with that goal. So if you count yourself on team happiness in the pro leagues, we want you to send in your stats. We want to know how many times you shared the podcast. And again, if you let us know, we have a very special surprise for you. And it's not just a shout out. There's an extra something, something that you do not want to miss out on. So please head over to the website and let us know your stats. All righty. I am so excited for today. I have a dear friend of mine as a guest today, Jordan Foltz. He and I go back And especially with play theory, there is a lot of history there. And I'm excited to tap into his experience and expertise. So Jordan Foltz is a husband and father of two young lads. He works for a marketing agency to benefit clients who need help with their paid search channels. Jordan has ample experience with play theory workshops and has done a variety of workshops in lots of settings. Uh, He and I have done many, many workshops together in the past for uh, customer service organizations, for high school students and everything in between. And I just very much appreciate Jordan's example of applying play theory and also being such a masterful facilitator of play theory workshops. He really has a gift there. He's also been a professional improvisational comedian for 10 years for paying audiences And we've done lots of stage improv together as well and have some very fun memories there. His passion project is a website he and his wife created for Dungeons and Dragons hobbyists named flutesloot.com. And you got to check out his YouTube channel as well um, with the same name. His favorite music is that of Fleetwood Mac, though he has a new obsession with K-pop group Twice as a quarantine hobby that he and his whole family enjoys. He also has a hypoallergenic Shih Tzu dog named Momo. And Jordan, very important note here, is vehemently 
anti-glitter. So don't come at him with any shiny dust of any kind. <laughs> Jordan Foltz, welcome to the show. Neil, it's so good to be here, and thank you for making my stance on glitter very clear as we get into the holidays and the gift card season. It's like pocket sand, but worse. <laughs> oh, Jordan, I'm so excited to have you on. Going way back to our college days, we, we started an improv club together, a play theory club together, and just had so much fun. Um, but Jordan has been my partner in crime for so many things play theory related, and so I knew it was only a matter of time before I had you on as a guest on the Happiness Playbook. But I'm so excited uh, to dive deep into some stuff here. We started doing improv shows as part of the club, and that was so fun, too, man. Do you remember? we They got pretty big there for a while. We were having a couple hundred people show up. We would do a show once a month, and uh, it just kind of grew. And that was those were some fun days, man. Yeah, definitely over 100 people attending those. Is it fair to say that that kind of sparked and, and launched your improv career into the, the professional scene? Yeah, absolutely. Um, just our grassroots improv club was teaching really good skills that uh, got me into actual improv comedy. Improv is made up of the foundational principles that you have to abide by for a scene to play out right. But, and then there's the pop culture side, right? So you kind of have to have both. The acting part is one side of it, but if you're missing those foundational principles of applied improv, then it just doesn't work. I remember playing with everybody at Play Theory because we obviously focused on the four Play Theory principles uh, very, very much. Um, and then going and, and playing with other troops and just kind of feeling the difference when there were you know, especially look outward. That for me was one that you can just feel immediately when you go on stage with someone and it's kind of that look at me attitude. Um, you can just feel that right away. And so I remember, I remember that being, being something that actually set, I, I think set you up uh, to, to really shine because I remember going and watching you with the, the troupe that you performed with initially and just being like, man, Jordan is killing it. It's because he's so generous on stage. And, you know, especially that look outward piece. And so um, that's kind of fun. And, and to get it on record, that play theory helped launch your career. That's, that's good to know. In addition to what you said, there is a social ability, uh, sociability, social ability um, that play <laughs> theory develops that helps you uh, work well with people and not just be up on stage being funny. Um, it makes people want to work with you. And it also makes audience members want to like you and cheer for you. And they can see when you have that genuine friendship with people on stage. And it's not just a couple of blowhard, funny guys all competing for the spotlight. And so you don't have to be the most right. clever person or the most sarcastic or naturally um, observant person to make fun of real life through improv. But you do need to get along with the people you're working with. And as an audience member, for sure, as a player on the stage, you feel that. But as an audience member, you feel that too. And I think um, I think that's very appreciated when you're watching improv to see that connection and that team spirit on stage. Let's just start off with the first question. Um, this is actually a great segue into the first question. Uh, what is your favorite play theory principle, Jordan, and why? 
My favorite play theory principle is look outward for a variety of reasons. One is it's kind of the culmination of the other three principles um, that makes it all shine. It's actual practice for concepts that usually just um, come in and out of people's lives through inspiration and not action or real change. So I love look outward. It makes you uh, easier to get along with. It makes people happy to work with you, which makes everything in your life happier. If your coworkers, your wife, your kids, everybody can tell that you're on their side, then everything is easier. It's when people think that you're at odds with them that things get tense, that things get awkward, and uh, people can even drift apart. And so look outward is the culmination of like being present, uh, accepting and building whatever comes your way and what people are coming up with and um, letting go of like your own inhibitions or pride and everything so that you can culminate with making your partners look good, uh, looking outward. Jordan, you are so good at looking outward in powerful ways. And I've been around you in a variety of situations where I've seen you really make efforts to make your partner look good and to kind of forego any selfish tendencies. And it really is, if you want to have a magnetic personality, that is the key is looking outward. And, you know, the opposite is true. If you are selfish and self-centered and focusing on your wants and, and desires and needs, then it, it kind of repels people in the long term. And so that's it makes sense why that is your favorite principle and you are really good at it. So I love it. Some of the best advice I ever received when it comes to like overcoming your fear of like expressing yourself or doing something nice for someone or or anything is that other people are much more concerned with how people are viewing themselves uh, than being worried about how you are viewed. And oftentimes when you go outside of yourself to do nice things for people or to stand up and like get on stage and entertain or reach out to people, whatever you're doing, other people want to do those things, but they're often too apprehensive and too worried about how people are viewing them. And so when you are someone who stands up and says, I'm not going to worry about that. I'm going to do what I want to do because everyone else is just worried about how they're viewed. <laughs> it doesn't matter how they view me. It's, it pales in comparison to them judging themselves. Uh, you can help a lot of people open up when you become that like magnetic person who stands up and does what they want to do and expresses themselves. And it's, it's contagious. It makes other people do the same. And people like to be around people like that. They always say, you know, be around people who bring out the best in you and are positive. People who look outward have that magnetic personality, that magnetism that Neil just mentioned. And it's, this is one, that's one of the reasons why. And I love what you're pointing out here, because I think we often think of inward focus could be arrogance or pride, but low self-confidence is also in an interesting way, inwardly focused. And if you're so concerned about what others are thinking of you, it's still preventing you from, from looking outward and serving those around you. So I'm glad that you pointed that out. And I love also that you pointed out earlier, the power of experiential learning. And that is the power behind play theory and applied improv is being able to experience these principles in a safe, fun environment, and then to see them at play there, but then to apply them more broadly to your life. All right, so now I want to take 
a professional angle here on the application. You've had a number of positions uh, in, in different organizations, mostly to do with marketing and um, SEO type roles. Uh, but you were also an English tutor in in college, and I remember that, and you've always been very gifted with copywriting, and so we'll talk a little bit more about the communications in a second, but I want to know, how has applying Accept and Build benefited you in client relationships? When a manager asks me for like a report or something, I like to throw in like one or two extra things um, that I think maybe they forgot to ask for or that uh, might be useful to them. And you'd be surprised how many times your manager will thank you for that and praise you for it because they don't always, like they're often like as a second thought um, after some meeting asking you for a report. And it's not always the most well thought out request. And so if you recognize what they're asking for and like conceptualize it and not just do the bare minimum of like whatever columns and rows they asked you to put in a report or whatever analysis they asked you to do, but kind of just go a little bit extra that makes them look good when they go to a meeting with that report or whatever that you provided and they will rely on you more. When a client is unhappy, um, they often reach out and they're asking like, why is something happening this way? And it's easy to get defensive and say, well, it's obviously not anything I did, you know, so maybe you guys should learn about your own business more. And so you don't have to ask me. It'd be really easy to get defensive like that because you were worried about your own job all of a sudden and you don't want your client to be lost. But <laughs> um, paradoxically, you then respond in a way that could usually you lose you the client because you are uh, making them more angry and trust you less. And so mm. it's important to accept like, yes, they are upset. They have a business that they need to make sure is running properly and they have trusted me, someone even outside their organization, a big leap of faith to try to build it. And I need to accept that that is the reality they're coming from. Um, recently, I had a client that, that things were kind of going this way and they were like, why are things going bad? And since then, I've proven myself and I've created a lot of value for them. But initially, they were kind of upset, but the the CEO reached out and he, he threw in something a little bit cheeky in the email. And if I wasn't paying attention, I might've just brushed it off. But he said something about like, we don't want you to just monitor our uh, accounts and just uh, feed us cold pizza. And he gave a little pizza emoji. And from my calls with him, he's a pretty bombastic social person, I can tell. So I think, okay, he wants to have a little tit for tat here and have a little uh, cheekiness. And so I said, oh, yeah, we deliver our pizza fresh and hot so that you can have your party and all that stuff. And, <laughs> and he responded. He's like, yes, give us that hot pizza. you know. <laughs> and so, and so it, 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 it made light of it and showed confidence from me that I wasn't just becoming defensive, but I actually – when you can actually respond lightheartedly, it shows that you're confident in what you're talking about. And it shows that you um, are communicative and want to build that relationship with them. And that you don't just see them as like some bother that is like an ends to a means for your job. Since then, I now have terrific rapport with them. Um, haven't had issues in a long time. There will always be issues that come up later, but I'll always be glad that I have a good relationship with them now. So that when problems come up or markets downtrend or whatever changes, that they they trust that I can get them through it. And it's just about communicating with me and not like kicking me in the buns to do my job, you know. And so um, accepting oh. and building is so important to maintain relationships in a in a job. That, oh, there's so much to unpack. We could dive so deep into so many of the things you shared. I love that you introduced our listeners to this idea 
almost of interpretation, right? And that's a very important piece of accept because you can't effectively build upon whatever offer you're given unless you are accurately interpreting the offer that they're giving. And I love what you're saying here about making sure you're hearing them. And like you said in this email that uh, your client sent you, if you weren't taking the time to really interpret the offer, um, which was the email, right? And there's a little bit of cheekiness in here. You would have missed out on the opportunity to more effectively build upon that offer. And so I love that you you brought that up because it's not only you know, making people feel heard and, and validation is a huge part of accept and build. You got to make sure that person feels heard and validated in their offer because then you can more effectively build. But it, it is actually hearing, right? Not just making sure they feel heard, but actually as accurately as possible, interpreting the message so that you can effectively build upon that. So thank you for bringing that up. Very good yeah, stuff. I've had a lot of luck using my webcam. A lot of people don't like to use them. Um, I, I obviously work, on, I work online actually with a lot of pretty much everyone. So my coworkers are online. Uh, my clients are, it's really important to use a webcam to create a, a likability for yourself. If any of you have web calls and meetings with faceless people you've never met, they don't have a profile picture even, and they don't have their webcam on, it's really hard to connect with those people and trust them. It's almost like how they say like emails, it's hard and like social media posts, it's really hard for your texts, your written word to be misinterpreted because you miss the nuances of physical communication of like your eye contact and your body language and your tonality like you can do with your voice and your visuals. So when it's just your emails and such, or um, you're a faceless person on a call, um, it makes it tough. And so one way that you can accept and build the situation you're in is to open yourself up as much as possible. I, and I love this idea because again, your, your suggestion here of the webcam, you're going to be able to more effectively gauge the emotion and the offer or message, right? That is being conveyed, which will then empower you to more effectively build upon the offers and the situation and that communication. So very good tip there. How does play theory help you be a better friend? Um, so Recently, uh, someone I just became acquainted with that I think I've become better friends with because I accepted and built upon something that initially I wanted to say no to. Um, this guy I met, he said, hey, Jordan, I have a goal of watching the sunrise with 10,000 different people before I die. Would you Will you go watch the sunrise with me? And initially, I was like, I have a one-year-old and a three-year-old, and I'm the morning person in the marriage. I I, can't, I don't even want to ask my wife to deal with that while I go off to, you know. And also, it's like, I'll be sleepy. Do I want to do this? It's a weird request. But I said to myself, why did he ask me that? You know, he chose me. Wow. He, like, he wants to be better friends with me. Like, sure, he's got a goal for 10,000 people, but um, he, 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 he asked me specifically. And... I haven't had some bro time for a while. You know, it's been quarantine. <laughs> It'd be nice to go pull out a camp chair and just like sit by a, a reservoir and watch a sunrise with a friend and just talk about whatever, you know? And so I said, yeah, I'll do it. And I, I, sh I tried to show no negativity. I just said, yeah, let's do it. You know, just tell me when let's work it out. My kid's sick right now. So I'll need to wait like a week, you know, that kind of stuff. 
And I actually really enjoyed the experience. I forgot what it's like to just go out with someone who's kind of nude in your life and uh, talk. Because once you get married, you're kind of stuck with your spouse and you don't go do these sorts of things with people a lot, at least in my experience. Um, mm -hmm. I know some guys like still get out with their friends and their wives just like watch the kids. But um, I think my wife and I are pretty evenly yoked. And so um, we don't just like go off on our own very often, especially with people we haven't already developed relationships with. But how do you keep making new friends in that situation? Like, are you just going to be stuck with the, the friends you had before you got married or early on? You got to find mm -hmm. ways to keep making connections. And if you're not positive about these unexpected requests, you're going to miss it. And my friend who invited me to watch the sunrise, it turns out most people say no to him. <laughs> like, it's actually really hard for him to achieve this goal. And if you run the numbers, he's not going to make it. <laughs> um, That's a so, lot of sunrises. <laughs> yeah, it is. But it's still really cool. And it's a way for him to connect with people. Um, I'm an oversharer, so he probably got more than he bargained for with me. <laughs> but um, that, it's really good to continue making friends with these uh, in unexpected ways and not being willing to kind of get out of your norm and shake off how difficult it is sometimes to like change your routine and go for it. Another thing is, um, especially with the political discussions lately of an election year, I found it's really helpful for me to not assume I'm right. When you're looking outward in a, in a situation like that, um, you're going to be okay. Um, or at least you'll know that you did your part. I've this year, I've definitely caught myself a few times when a discussion comes up, I catch myself rolling up my sleeves. Like I'm going to show them the truth because <laughs> I've got all the sources and I'm so informed and right. what a horrible mentality. And that, it, it, it makes, it makes your own knowledge work against you. It's horrible. It feels horrible. Cause it's like, even if you think you're right, nothing came of that discussion and you just insulted each other and you harmed a relationship. Um, right. When you gain knowledge, it should help. It should be something interesting to talk about. And so if you don't do it properly, um, it's going to hurt. And oh, it's so hard to not do that, though, especially with these very high stakes conversations where they're very closely held beliefs and convictions. But I thank you for your humility, because it's hard to do that. It's hard to say, wow, that is horrible. You know what I'm what I'm doing. My intention going into this is is destructive, you know, and I'm I'm the wrecker, you know, you're Wreck-It Ralph when you should be Felix the, oh gosh, what is, oh, what is it? Fix it, Felix. <laughs> uh, fix there it we Felix. go. <laughs> <laughs> I need to refresh my, uh, my Disney animated movies apparently. Um, thank you. That's, that's a good uh, point as well. Yeah. Uh, one other thing with it is, um, and I, I might have just forgotten it from the Felix fix it Felix thing. <laughs> Sorry, week, I might have I, I shifted my thought process to help you with the pop culture reference. Um, <laughs> You're like a good wine; you age with time. <laughs> age I'll well with like... time, or just age with time? <laughs> <laughs> You're like a good wine; you're getting old. <laughs> 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 oh there's your compliment for the day oh my gosh as long as we're talking about relationships let's talk about an important relationship okay let's discuss how play theory strengthens your marriage because i think that's a really important thing or and and i guess we're talking about marriage but this would apply obviously to any relationship yeah um let me give you like a little background to me before marriage um, and then kind of inform what I want to say about it is um, I used to be a people pleaser. I'd just kind of like be a social chameleon and be like whoever I was around. 
And I took a personality test that told me that. And it was like, you should figure yourself out. And I was like, hmm. <laughs> and so I tried to be more assertive, um, but I, I, I pride myself on being a peacekeeper. So I've come to the conclusion that being a peacekeeper is also about representing yourself and not just being a, a doormat or a people pleaser. It's about um, being assertive and being a leader. And so I've tried to kind of balance, you know, being assertive and, you know, uh, in a marriage prep class I took, it said, you need to be a bit of a hedonist. You can't just be the doormat in a marriage. You got to still seek your own satisfaction, um, your own happiness, that sort of thing. Um, and so in marriage, um, to me, it's a balancing act where I, I say I am 100% committed. And sometimes I have a hobby or something that's taking up too much time. And I have to recognize when my wife says, I need you home more. It's really easy for you to say to yourself, well, if I was her, I would be fine with this and I would try to enable me. Why is she doing this? I do all these other things that should offset me being gone, you know, and you kind of have this like equity mindset, which equity is often seen, you know, like equality, equity is like a positive thing. It can work against you because you kind of like have this filing cabinet in your head of everything you do that you think is, uh, you know, doing your part in the marriage and as a parent. And then you compare that to what you think they are doing. And if there is inequity, you get angry. But sometimes you got to say to yourself, okay, there will be times when I am taking more and when she is taking more. Um, like I mentioned earlier that I'm like the morning person in the marriage. So I've just said, I really help out my wife and she feels like I love her. And like, um, I really care when I sacrifice my mornings to watch the kids because I'm just in a better state of mind and I'm happier and less prone to like get angry at them. And so like I watch the kids at night when I take care of them, usually, uh, obviously she helps out if I'm sick or if I need a break, like if I'm getting too tired, but, um, it'd be easy to say like, oh, well, next time she's upset about me some with something, well, I handle the kids at night and I help them in the morning while you sleep in and I, I suddenly turn the goodwill and my intent to be helpful into like this bargaining chip where I'm holding it over her head um, that's been something I've had to get over in marriage and I'm so much happier now that I've ditched it for the most part it's hard to get rid of it entirely right but um, just saying I, I will do whatever is necessary and give a hundred percent sometimes a hundred percent is more than I would like it to be. And sometimes it is less and I'm happy because I feel like I'm, I can kind of slack off, you know, but <laughs> um, there you are a unit and together you are given a hundred percent. And sometimes the way that hundred percent is divvied up differs. Um, like I, my friend who I talked about before, who said like his wife had a miscarriage, we were talking about actually be how to be evenly yoked in marriage. And he said, your wife's hundred percent is not always the same amount that she can give when she has something like a miscarriage happen to her. It's devastating. You can't just hold her to like the same, you know, like uh, standard as when she's like running on all cylinders and she's super positive and she's like being very fulfilled in life and hold it against her when she suddenly isn't. And but not only that, you have to kind of pick up the slack and be helpful and show her that you care and be her support. And, People who don't do this and they just see it as like uh, when when their spouse is like upset or something, they just kind of avoid them and avoid conflict. 
Um, I think that backfires in the long term. What you're saying here, and I, I totally agree, is that it's important to be clear about both both individuals' wants and needs and emotions, and so that you can again, it comes back to accept and build. You have to be accurately interpreting where that person is at and accepting them where they're at. And if you're not clear on where they're at, that's where the things, you know, emotions get bottled up. And then, and then it really turns into a fight where you're at each other's throats. And I, I love what you're saying here. And something I've learned from you, Jordan, is early on, I remember when um, we, we were doing all kinds of stuff and you were so good at being direct and clear. And it was so refreshing because a lot of us, I think, are emotional chameleons and people pleasers. And that's just a natural tendency to want to put your best foot forward and be liked. Um, but ultimately, that's not going to do you any favors. And I think you had this realization, as you shared, where you weren't, you weren't, you didn't really know who you were, right? And so you kind of, you kind of discovered yourself and then committed to being more uh, open. And, and I think that is so important in a marriage, especially that you are open and honest and direct and that you can come together, honestly share your needs and wants and where you're at emotionally. And sometimes those are hard emotions. Anyone who's in a relationship knows that those times come up where, you know, your partner either feels like you're dropping the ball or you're doing things that are adversely impacting the uh, relationship. And it's important that you communicate those things. And again, applying play theory here, you you got to accept that and build on that, whatever it is. And, and you have to validate too. That's an important piece in order to, to make progress is saying, making sure that person is heard and that they feel heard and that you are validating their emotions because there's always a reason they feel that way. And it's hard to admit that you might be part of the reason they are feeling that way, but that is also important to let go of your ego and, and to navigate those conversations. It's important to create environments where you as people can come together and work things out, um, just like in an, an improv scene or an improv show. Um, everything needs the right environment where everyone feels safe and they can express themselves and communicate. Yes. And we have seen firsthand what happens on stage, off stage, in relationships, when that environment is not created. Oh, and absolutely. And there's no connection. There's no um, uh, no confidence, <laughs> no happiness. Yep. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Jordan, this has been so great. You've shared so many nuggets, and we did a deep dive into places we hadn't gone before on the podcast. And I'm so grateful for your willingness to come on and share with us as always, we have a question we ask every guest on the podcast, and that is, what is your pro tip for applying play theory for our listeners? Make observations in your life and how you interact with people, and take note of when your assumptions are wrong. Um, I actually learned this as a tip from a, uh, a YouTube video that was talking about how to learn to read people, and I was like, ooh, interesting. And it was that you to develop that you should observe situations where people are interacting or you're interacting with people and consciously make an assumption to yourself or, or a prediction. Say, I think this person is uncomfortable and they're going to leave or I think this person is going to really warm up. These two seem like they're going to hit it off, like start making those predictions and take note of them 
and see how often you're right. Um, do the same thing with your um, communication with people and say, okay, how, how, how did that how did that go with that person? I thought I was going to hit it off with them. At what point did it kind of go awry? What did I do? What did I react with a curt comment towards something that was important to them? Those sorts of things. Try to identify them. And even if you don't know, just think to yourself, it might've been that. And then note that for next time you're in that sort of situation with someone and say, I'm not going to make that joke. I'm not going to uh, be sarcastic about this thing or about their, their situation they're in. Um, I'm not going to project my worldview and my strengths and weaknesses onto them as if they are. that's what their strengths and weaknesses are. And I promise you will learn so much about yourself and other people if you can have this mentality. Um, and that's one way to cultivate looking outward. Um, by applying all the play theory principles, you will see um, how you can make people look good because you've made those observations about times you got it wrong or you got it right and you can replicate those. Um, that's the best way to do it. Oh, so good. So is this, is this a fair, uh, summary of what you just said to observe, analyze, and improve your interactions with others? Absolutely. Um, like I said earlier, it's really hard to get past just being inspired or like noticing something that you can improve because you don't get the chance to practice until it's game time again. And you're actually trying to make a friend or build a relationship. And if it goes wrong, you're like, well, I blew it because I don't have that practice time. Play <laughs> theory is nice because you can actually consciously practice things in your mind. Or if you're doing improv or anything else, honestly, like you could play basketball, you could be part of like a, uh, a writing group who critique each other's writing. You can practice play theory principles in anything and it will translate to the rest of your life, no matter what you're doing. It doesn't have to be improv. Learn to learn play theory principles in something you're passionate about. It will leak out into your life and enliven your other hobbies, jobs, relationships. Oh, I love that. Be a researcher, like be a little scientist and, and conduct these studies, right? Analyze and, and make improvements. And there will be play theory creep or spillover. In I like that. Play theory way. creep. <laughs> <laughs> Not a noun, but a, a, a verb, right? Yes. <laughs> you are not a play theory creep. You experience play theory creep. Jordan Foltz, thank you so much for coming on. This has been delightful. Thank you so much for coming on the show and for sharing all of these wonderful nuggets. You're a beautiful soul. Thank you, Neil. Uh, you're the kind of friend that it's always like we pick up where we left off because you have that that play theory mentality where no matter how far apart we live or how long it's been, um, I can always just get on a podcast with you and talk about whatever and have a good time. So thanks for being that kind of guy. I love it. Play theory friends are the best friends. <laughs> they are. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on the Happiness Playbook brought to you by Play Theory. Remember this week to analyze, observe, and improve your interactions with others. Become a scientist and do that research and make those observations so that you can become a more connected, happy, and confident individual. As always, remember that happiness is a skill and life is a team sport. Catch you next week.